Hi, Pastor Rob here from City East Church and MTL Ministries. What you hold is true. Is it really truth? Will what you believe get you through on Judgment Day? Are you keeping to the pattern of sound teaching held out in Scripture? In this series, Truth, Judgment and Eternity, I intend to deliver messages that check the solidness of our Christian foundation so as to guard the good deposit that was entrusted to us as Christ's ambassadors on this earth. The sermon is called The Fear of the Lord. And I think it's a really important uh, topic. And as you're going to find from the scriptures I'm going to reveal, you're going to realize, man, I've got to learn how to fear the Lord properly. Because literally the Bible tells you you must learn to fear the Lord. And what that means is discover. The more you discover about who God is, the more you understand and appreciate what it is to fear this awesome God that we serve. So let's pray. Lord, I just give this sermon to you, Lord, and I ask you to do with it as you will. And I ask that you will help me to to, uh, preach it faithfully and in accordance with your, as your spirit has has taught me and as it will reveal to me as I deliver it, Lord. And I pray that everyone here will receive it with all their heart and, Lord, that we will be changed and transformed even more by this information that will be preached today. So... Do as you will with this sermon, and I ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. The fear of the Lord is one of those topics that most people, and even many Christians today, wrestle with. Put up your hand if you've ever wrestled with it, that the fact that you should fear God, you know, this loving God. Most people say, if God is a God of love and he's a good, righteous, and holy God, why should we fear him? Who said that? If he's a good God and a loving God, we shouldn't fear him. But my answer is this, for exactly that reason, the fact that he is a good God and a holy God and a righteous God. The Bible doesn't just say he's holy. See, a man can attain holiness because the Bible talks about holy men of God. The Bible says that God is holy, holy, holy. That he is infinitely holy. That means he's holy in himself. We can only be holy through Christ. He is holy in himself. He cannot be anything but universally holy. And because he is that holy, because he is that good, because he is that right and righteous, he's going to judge every single man according to his strict standard of holiness. Can anyone live up to the holiness of God? We can't even live up to the law of the Ten Commandments, let alone to the holiness of God. His word tells us that we will all be judged according to what we have done. And only those who are without sin can enter the kingdom of God by their own right. Put up your hand if you're without sin. (laughs) Nearly went up. I've met a few in the past, but it doesn't sort of prove true, as you know. Not one sin. That means all your life you would have obeyed the law to the letter. Not one sin, not one lie was found in your mouth. You did not steal a paperclip. You did not one thing wrong but lived a perfect life. According to the law, though, uh, the soul who sins will die. This is in Ezekiel 18.20. No sinner can enter the kingdom of God. Is that true? Can sin enter the kingdom of God? So that means, no, because no sin is found in heaven, that means no sinner can enter the kingdom of God. That, therefore, to get into heaven, you must be cleansed of sin. You must be what the Bible calls consecrated. 
You must have your sins atoned for. How do you get it atoned for? Everyone knows here, don't they? Through the blood of Jesus. That is the only way to enter in to the kingdom of heaven. Is through the blood of Jesus. And according to the Bible, there is no one righteous, not even one. If man was to stand alone on judgment day and declare, I am a good person, I deserve to receive heaven, his righteousness, the Bible says, would be as filthy rags. That means all God would see is filthiness. Just total, like, marred with sin, marred and stained. But when God looks upon someone who's given their life to Jesus and who's accepted his sacrifice for themselves and has prayed forgiveness to God for, uh, for forgiveness for their sins, you know what he sees? He sees purity. He sees wholeness because he casts your sins. As far as the east is from the west, your sins are cast from him. That means he will never bring them up again. And neither should we bring them up again. Who repents of something and then a few days later repents again and then a few days later repents again? Have you ever done that? I do that. I keep feeling guilty and then I keep on... Do you know the first time you repent, when, if you were sincere, and most of us usually are, to even think of repenting, he's heard us the first time. So when you do it the second time and the third time, he's going, what are you talking about? I don't even remember that because my word says I've cast it. And he, you know why God casts our sin as far as he is from the West? It's for his benefit. For his benefit. So he doesn't have to... Every time he sees you, think about it. He wants to know in himself that they're gone. And that's how we've got to treat them. When we repent of sin, it is gone. And then we can live a holy life from then on, unburdened by our past. And this is important, isn't it? Because we've got to let go. We've got to let go of stuff. A lot of the time, most people struggle with themselves. They don't forgive themselves. God's forgiven us, but do we forgive us? Now, God was found in, he was in a dilemma when he created humanity and then they sinned because he knew that in his wisdom that something had to be done to atone for sin because he knew that if, if he just left, them, left their sin unatoned for, no one would enter the kingdom of God. So he sent Jesus to earth and Jesus, the God-man, had to fulfill a wonderful mission. He firstly had to live a holy life and never sin. Why did he have to live a totally holy life and never sin? What's the main reason? Anyone know? So he could be found with fault. Without fault. He had to fulfill the law, didn't he? And therefore he had to be found without fault to fulfill the law. And if he could fulfill the law, then he is the perfect atonement for all mankind. If he had one sin, if he had sinned, and I tell you, Satan tried to make him sin. Satan did his best to try to make him sin. But if he had one sin and then tried to then use his life as an atonement, God would have refused him. And you know what? This is the other thing. I don't know if many people understand this. Jesus risked his own eternal life. He risked being cut off from God forever, coming to earth to save us. 
Who would, if you're in heaven and, and, or, and say there was a, a race of creatures in another galaxy and God said, will you go and live a perfect life for that race of creatures and then die for them? And you'll go, yeah, yeah, I'll do that. Oh, but there's only one catch. If you sin, you will go to hell. You won't ever get back here again to be with me. Would you put up your hand then? You could be as lost as they are if you, if you sinned. Because there had to be consequences. That's why Satan went for it. Satan knew if I get Jesus to sin, he will be as lost as we are. But the word of God tells us that he didn't sin. He couldn't sin because he's God. And that's proof that he's God. A fact, that just that one fact alone. So Jesus sacrificed an eternal life with God and he laid his life down and entered the affairs of man. If he sinned, he would have been lost and fallen under the wrath of God and eternally separated from God. There had to be consequences to the Son of Man sinning if he did. But he didn't sin. In fact, he was perfected in suffering and made so perfect that he could lay his life down once and for all for all mankind. Hebrews 4.15 says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathise with us in our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet was without sin. And because Jesus didn't sin, he could have entered heaven there and then and leave the earth. But instead he chose to suffer the scorn and the shame of torture and crucifixion on a cross so that he could dispense that eternal salvation that only he was able to achieve. If he, because he went to the cross, he had the right to dispense salvation, to give it out to everyone who says, yes, I want that salvation. And this is the amazing thing is 2,000 years on and the message hasn't changed and still... Men resist salvation. It's crazy. It's the equivalent of floating down a big wide river and it's a beautiful day and you're just floating along and it's, you're bathing in, this, in, in the river and you're looking at the sun. But unbeknownst to you, there's a, a huge falls coming and you're going to be dashed to pieces. And men are so content in the river, they just think it's always going to be like that. It's always going to be just this smooth ride. And then, and you're calling out from the bank, here's a lifeline, take it, quick, come up, you don't know what's just there. And they're going, nah, get lost, it's fine, everything's fine. We can't buy our own salvation, can we? We can't work for our salvation. So salvation comes by grace by, by faith in Jesus Christ and what he did for us on the cross. However, there is another flip side of the coin. That's one side. Flip it over and this is what this side says and this is what the message is today. Salvation must be worked out with fear and trembling under the scrutinising eye of God. Now when I say that, that might sound ridiculous. Under the fear and trembling. Who thinks that's ridiculous to be actually trembling before God? I didn't say that. That's in the Bible. Philippians 2, 12 to 13 says, Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. In other words, we are not saved by works but by grace. However, the Bible is clear that we must produce fruit in keeping with repentance. If you keep with something, what does that mean? If you keep with repentance, what does that mean? 
Sorry? You continue in it. Is the grace of God a free ticket to do whatever you want and then come back and keep repenting? You've got to keep with repentance. Repentance actually means to turn from sin. Yes, you say sorry, ask for forgiveness, but you turn and change and live without falling back into sin. And the, the, the secret to never sinning is the fear of the Lord. And I'm going to explain that soon. If we continue to live the old life of sin once we've accepted Jesus as Lord and Saviour, then no sacrifice for sins is left. And, I'll, and this is the scripture. Hebrews 10, 26 to 27 says, If we deliberately keep on sinning after we've received the knowledge of the truth, no sacrifice for sins is left, but only a fearful expectation of judgment and of raging fire that will consume the enemies of God. Is that heavy? Judgment day will be a shocking day. And Jesus tells us that many who claim to be Christian will be discarded on that day because they never lived for Jesus. They never knew Jesus. They just gave him lip service. Matthew 7, 21 to 27 says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? And in your name drive out demons and perform miracles. Then I'll tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Therefore, anyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against the house. Yet it did not fall because it had its foundations on the rock. Who's the rock? Jesus. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them in the practice is like the foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. Are we building our foundation on the rock or the sand? Now, I believe every one of us here is built on the, on the rock. We're on the rock. Now, we've got to stay on the rock. We've got to stay firmly fixed on the rock. Because many people leave their house that they built on the rock and go elsewhere. Many people uproot their house and go and stick it in the sand. But we've got to stay on the rock. And this sermon will tell you how. We must live as Christians with the wisdom that only comes from the knowledge of the fear of the Lord. This is the way to build on the rock. Knowing that there is a God who watches over your every move who reads your every thought, this will keep you in the will of God and from falling back into sin. If you know, if you wake up, who wakes up every morning and, and thinks, yeah, God is watching me right now. If you wake up and the first thing on your mind is that I should pray, usually that's a sign that you know that God is watching you. 2 Corinthians 5, 9-11 says, So we make it our goal to please him, whether we are at home in the body or away from it, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive what is due to him for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. Since then we know what it is to fear the Lord. We try to persuade men. What we are is plain to God, and I hope it is also plain to your conscience. If you can have a true revelation of the coming judgment of God against everything we have done, both seen and unseen, we will quickly learn a lot about the fear of God. Joe Schimmel in his sermon called The Fear of God, he said this, 
The fear that a believer of Christ has is not like the fear of like, oh no, God is going to crush me right now. Who Has anyone ever had that sort of fear of God? I don't think so. Right, Not as Christians. What about people that come to know Jesus? And when they, some people like, when they first realise that God is true and then they realise that Jesus died for their sins and that they're sinners and they don't believe in Jesus, usually there can be a very strong sense of that, that God is going to crush me and I better get right with God. And that's usually a catalyst to, to giving your heart to Jesus. But that's not how we should see the, the fear of God. Uh, Joe Schimmel said, No, I have perfect security now as I talk to you. I don't doubt my salvation. I believe if I died in the pulpit or I got in a car crash that I'm going to be with Jesus. I don't doubt that even half a percent. To be absent from the body is to be present from the, with the Lord. I have perfect assurance because whoever comes to him will be saved. However, I'm also wise enough from Scripture to know that if I rebel against him, and I turn from God and want nothing to do with him and harden my heart to where I no longer hear his voice and I become an apostate and deny Christ, well, God is able to destroy my body and soul in hell. So guess what? Even though I have perfect assurance, I fear God. This is all Joe Schimmel. The Niagara Falls is a pretty good example. The Niagara Falls is incredible. It's so powerful, so beautiful. It's the most it's huge, pure, strong, just like God. The Bible says we can see certain things about his attributes in the things that he has made. There's, if you look around, you know, um, in, in nature, the lion is symbolic of power and, and Jesus is called the lion of the tribe of Judah. The lamb is, is indicative of sacrifice and tenderness and, and, and sweetness and that's what Jesus was on the cross. And the Niagara Falls is powerful and that represents the power of God. Now, but as beautiful and as wonderful and as powerful as the falls, as Niagara Falls are, I wouldn't want to get on the wrong side of the falls. To stand there and watch the falls and admire the falls is one thing. But to dive in the river and swim towards the falls is a totally different thing altogether, isn't it? That's getting on the wrong side of God. But if we stand on the side where we admire and worship God, Right? We're on the right side of God, aren't we? And if we stay in that place and if we don't turn to the other side where we can say, I can do it my own way and I can get through this myself and dive in and try to take him on. You know, some people are bold enough to declare that they're going to you know, make war against God. And in the, even in the book of Revelation, Satan musters a massive army right at the end of the thousand years of peace and comes towards Jerusalem to attack God. How arrogant and prideful and ignorant is that. So stay on the right side of God. But you know what? Niagara Falls, as powerful as it is, is only a drop in the ocean, isn't it? A drop in the, on the earth. And the earth is just a speck of dust compared to all that God has created, the massive, beautiful universe that he created and all the wonder of that. King Solomon he was the wisest man in the world. He wrote the book called Ecclesiastes. Who's read the Ecclesiastes? Everyone? He was the richest man in history, and he deprived, the Bible says in Ecclesiastes, he deprived himself of no earthly pleasure. What happened was God came to Solomon and said, I'll give you anything. Ask me what you want. I want to bless you. Solomon said, give me wisdom to rule this people. 
So his request pleased God so much that he didn't ask for fame, he didn't ask for fortune, that God says, well, I'm going to give you all that as well. So he just poured it on. He gave him wisdom. He was the wisest man ever. But not only that, he had everything he wanted. He had, there was so much gold in Jerusalem. God gave him so much gold that it was common, so common that silver had just about no value in Solomon's day. And he had um, vineyards and he had farms and he had beautiful gardens built and he had, he had a beautiful palace built. He actually built the temple of the Lord. And he, the temple of the Lord was inlaid with gold. It was completely gold. It was unbelievable. Not only that, he had all the desires of his heart, the lusts of the flesh. He had as much food as he wanted, much drink as he wanted. He had a thousand women. He had a harem. How many men out there, if you offered them a harem, would say no? You know, he had a harem. He had 700 wives, 300 concubines. Yeah, they had to win name tags. He had everything. And guess what he concluded at the end of all that? Well, actually, what happened at the end? He turned away from God. His wives led him astray. But then he returned, they say, and he, from backsliding. And he concluded at the end of Ecclesiastes, this is before he died, he said this. This is the last two verses of the book. Ecclesiastes 12, 13 to 14. Now that all has been heard, here is the conclusion of the matter. Fear God. And keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing, whether it is good or evil. He, he had everything a man could ever want, and he saw it all as chasing after the wind. You know, everything that you're going to do in the world is just going to be a chasing after the wind. You've got to do it, though. Some, you know, we've got to make money to put food on the table. You've got to do that. But all of that, if you're trying to make excessive amounts of wealth is a chasing after the wind. So the conclusion of the matter is, fear the Lord and keep his commandments. Do what is right. Don't sin. And he also said that it's our duty. That's our duty. As a, as a boy, my dad was quite strict on us, but he was also very loving. So I feared my dad for his strictness, but I loved him. And I never got the two confused. I never feared him that much that I hated him. I always had a, nearly a reverent respect of him raising his voice. When he'd raise his voice, I would stop him in my tracks. You know what I mean? And the reason why is, is I got a few smacks when I was like young. And I didn't want to get them anymore, so I just, I feared him. And because I feared him, I kept on the good side of him most of the time. That's the same with God, isn't it? It's just about identical. You can fear someone but still love them. You can fear their wrath because you don't want to end up on that side of him, but you can still love him with all your heart. And that's what it is with God. What about police? Why do you think most people obey the police? And, well, we don't want the fines, but we also fear what they can do to us. You know, if you push it enough with a police officer, they'll throw you in prison. And if you push it even more and you show no fear, they'll lock you away down in the deepest cell and they won't throw away the key. You know, we obey the police because we fear it. Now, we might not love the police. <laughs> it's not the same analogy. But that is the, uh, one of the things that keeps the law in place, is the fear of what the consequences of 
of that is. That's right, when we need them, when there's a robber in the house. <laughs> Jesus says in Luke 12, 4 to 5, I tell you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body, and after that can do no more. So he's telling us, don't be afraid of man. Don't be afraid of what man can do, but fear him who, after killing the body, has the power to throw you into hell. And I tell you, fear him. Is that a hard scripture? Does preaching that offend people? And people say, that's fire and brimstone preaching. But you know what? Jesus was a fire and brimstone preacher, wasn't he? If you read his words, he's like really confronting. And people struggle with confrontation when it comes to this. But I've said this before. No one's going to be more than one minute in hell. They wish they had heard fire and brimstone preaching every day and obeyed it. It'll only take one minute of burning in hell before people will realise what the whole meaning of life really was. Because it's a terrible, terrible, terrible place. And as we have, as, a, as humans, as individuals, have to stand before a holy God, give an account, and want to know that our names are written in the book of life. Who's confident that their names are written in the book of life? Put your hand up if you're confident. They're properly up. I want to see them. Yep, yep. Great. How do we know that? What gives you that confidence? Faith. Very good answer. It was a better answer than what I had in my head. Faith. Faith in Jesus and what he did for us on the cross. How important is that? You know, it's the most important thing in your life. As boring as it may sound at times, it is the most important thing in your life. When we die, it is going to be the thing that we're going to consider the most in our life. And we, that's why I preach it all the time, because I want it to be so entrenched in your minds that you never, ever forget it, and that you will never, ever depart from it either. It's got to be fixed, firmly embedded. It's got to be the way you're wired. You know what I mean? And the problem today is we're all wired differently and we've got to be rewired and that's what the gospel does. It has the power to rewire us, change us and make us who we're meant to be in Christ. Psalm 76 verses 7 to 9 says, You alone are to be feared. Who can stand before you when you are angry? From heaven you pronounce judgment and the land feared and was quiet. When you, O God, rose up to judge to save all the afflicted of the land. Psalm 90 verse 11 says, Who knows the power of your anger? For your wrath is as great as the fear that is due to you. Did you know that? That fear is due to God. Psalm 96 4 says, For great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. He is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the nations are idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and glory are in his sanctuary. The Greek word for fear is phobos, and it means panic, flight, fear, the causing of fear, terror. This is where we get the word phobia from. The key to all this is we are not to water down the full meaning of what God is declaring to us in relation to fearing him, but we must understand that we serve the God who created all that is and holds our life in his hands. Ecclesiastes 12 verses 6 to 7 says, Remember him before the silver cord is severed or the golden bowl is broken, before the pitcher is shattered at the spring or the wheel broken at the well and the dust returns to the ground it came from and the spirit returns to God who gave it. At the final count of life, 
The truth of all existence will be revealed. Regardless of what you believe, truth will be exposed. At that time, the full understanding of the fear of the Lord will be given and all men will tremble and fall before God. When Isaiah saw God, he said, Woe to me, I'm a man of unclean lips. When Ezekiel saw him, he fell down. When Daniel saw him, his strength left him and he fell into a deep sleep with his face to the ground. When John saw him, he fell down before him as a dead man. Only those who have received their glorified bodies will be able to stand before the awesome existence of God and only by the Holy Spirit. That is why Jesus told us to pray that we'll be able to stand before the Son of Man. The Lord our God is, a, is holy and awesome and we must reverently honour him by living with our eyes upon these realities. The message has been sent to God-fearing believers and we've got to remember this. Acts 13.26 says, Brothers, children of Abraham and you, God-fearing Gentiles, it is to us that this message of salvation has been sent. So the message of the gospel is heard through the ears of God-fearing men and women. The message of salvation is received by those who fear him. So really, we've got to start fearing the Lord. We've got to learn the fear of the Lord. And there are many benefits of learning the fear of the Lord. 2 Chronicles 26 verses 1 to 5 says, Then all the people of Judah took Uzziah, who was 16 years old, and made him king in place of his father Amaziah. He was the one who rebuilt Elath and restored it to Judah after Amaziah rested with his fathers. Uzziah was 16 years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem for 52 years. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, just as his father Amaziah had done. He sought God during the days of Zechariah, who instructed him in the fear of God. As long as he sought the Lord, God gave him success. So we should seek instruction in relation to the fear of the Lord. This is good advice, isn't it? 1 Peter 1.17 says, Since you call on a father who judges each man's work impartially, live your lives as strangers here in this world in reverent fear. We must live our lives as strangers here on earth in, in reverent fear of God. This will keep us from losing our salvation. Mary, the mother of Jesus, praised God and said in, in Luke 1.50, His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. So the mercy of God extends to those who fear him. Each generation that passes, there's a remnant who will fear God. And in that remnant, those are the ones that are, will be saved. Now, I'm going to run through some scriptures. Because these are amazing. This is in the book of Proverbs. And it's describing Jesus. I found this amazing when I read it. When you think this is Jesus and Jesus is telling uh, Solomon who he is. 8 verse 22. Who's there? And it says this, The Lord possessed me at the beginning of his work before his deeds of old. I was appointed from eternity, from the beginning, before the world began. When there were no oceans, I was given birth. When there were no springs abounding with water, before the mountains were settled in place, before the hills, I was given birth, before he made the earth or its fields or any of the dusts of the world. I was there when he set the heavens in place, when he marked out the horizon on the face of the deep, when he established the clouds above and fixed securely the fountains of the deep, when he gave the sea its boundary, 
so that the waters would not overstep his command. And when he marked out the foundations of the earth, then I was the craftsman at his side. I was filled with a delight day after day, rejoicing always in his presence, rejoicing in his whole world and delighting in mankind. Now then, my sons, listen to me. Blessed are those who keep my ways. Listen to my instruction and be wise. Do not ignore it. Blessed is the man who listens to me, watching daily at my doors, waiting at my doorway. For whoever finds me finds life and receives favour from the Lord. But whoever fails to find me harms himself. All who hate me love death. Isn't that amazing? All who hate me love death. I'm glad we're all lovers of Jesus here. It is wisdom to listen to the instructions of the Lord. It's wisdom to spend this time once a week just to listen to the Word of God, just to absorb what it has to say, to open your mind to it. It's not the same as school, is it? We're not learning arithmetic or history or English or anything. We are learning the Word of God, and this is life-sustaining. His instructions are to watch daily at the Lord's doors, meaning praying to Him, watching for Him, opening His Word, the Bible, and dwelling in it. Who opens the Bible every day and dwells in it a little while? Just reads it. It's good to. It's, it's food for the soul. If we fail to find Jesus, we harm ourselves. If we don't look at, into these things, if we igno- ignorantly ignore these matters, we harm ourselves. That's what the Bible says. And if we hate Jesus, we must love death. And when death comes, we will stand alone before a holy God, knowing that we have rejected the only one who could save us from eternal death. But now I'm going to just read some scriptures. This is amazing, I found. To live out our Christian life in the fear of the Lord will keep our foot from slipping. So let's take a look at what the Bible has to say about the fear of the Lord. Just keep, just keep your eyes up there because I'm going to put all the scriptures. We're going to go through fairly quickly. Psalm 85.9 says, Surely his salvation is near those who fear him. So what that's saying is salvation is close at hand to those that fear God. You could just about be sure that someone who doesn't fear God but claims to be Christian isn't saved, according to these scriptures. It's one of the proofs that you're, that you're a believer in God, and that, you, that you really do truly believe in Jesus and love him. Psalm 25, 12 says, Who then is the man that fears the Lord? He will instruct him in the way chosen for him. So those who fear God, God will instruct personally. The Lord confides in those who fear him. He makes his covenant known to them. Who would like God to confide in you, to tell you his deeper secrets, to speak to you? Well, fear God. Psalm 34, 9 says, Fear the Lord, you his saints, for those who fear him lack nothing. So you will lack nothing if you fear him. If you always want to go through life and never lack anything, fear the Lord. Psalm 31, 19 says, How great is your goodness which you have stored up for those who fear you, which you bestow in the sight of men on those who take refuge in you. If you fear him, he stores up good things for you. Psalm 33, 18 to 19 says, But the eyes of the Lord are on those who fear him, on those whose hope is in his unfailing love, to deliver them from death and keep them alive in famine. So he'll protect you and watch over you and keep you during hardship if you fear the Lord. Isn't that amazing? 
Psalm 34, 7 says, The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him, and he delivers them. So if you fear the Lord, he protects you. He encamps around you. His presence is with you. Psalm 103, 11 to 12 says, For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, he has removed his transgressions from us. So again, transgressions and sin is removed from those that fear God. Truly fearing God is to love him with all your heart and respect him and honour him with all your heart. Psalm 111.5 says he provides food for those who fear him. So he provides food for, the, for you if you fear him. Psalm 103.17-18 says, But from everlasting to everlasting, the Lord's love is with those who fear him. So his love is with those that fear him. And his righteousness is with his children's children and those who keep his covenant and remember to obey his precepts. So his love and his, his blessings will come upon you and your family forward. Now, I said to Vina the other, the other night, we are our, the first in a line of Christian believers in our family, like true Christian believers. So Vina and I are starting a heritage and so we fear the Lord and so we know that our future generations will be blessed because we fear the Lord. And uh, here's Bill's favourite scripture. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And I like that. And even in Proverbs 9.10 it says it as well. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. It's the beginning of wisdom. So you know what? If you don't fear the Lord, you don't have wisdom. Because to fear the Lord is just where it begins. That's where wisdom begins. That says a lot for the smart people in this planet. Proverbs 15.33 says, The fear of the Lord teaches man a man wisdom. So once you fear the Lord, it's the beginning of wisdom, but also the fear of the Lord teaches wisdom as you enter into it. He will bless those who fear the Lord, small and great alike, so he'll bless you. Blessed are all those who fear the Lord who walk in his ways. You will eat the fruit of your labour. Blessing and prosperity will be yours, so you'll be blessed and you'll be prosperous if you fear the Lord. Psalm 139, 13-14. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. We are incredible creatures, aren't we? Incredibly advanced creatures, like as in the way we are built and, and the fact that we have intelligence so that we can create. So not only are we created in the image of God, we have similar capacities in a very uh, much lesser a degree, but we have the capacity to create just like God has the capacity to create. We are fearfully and wonderfully made. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and shun evil. This will bring health to your body and nourishment to your bones. So fearing God brings health to your body. So if you want good health, fear God and he will give you strong bones. Proverbs 16.6 6 says, Through love and faithfulness, sin is atoned for. Through the fear of the Lord, a man avoids evil. That's how you avoid sin. Waking up in the morning, realising that God exists and he is an awesome God and reverently honouring him and fearing him for who he is and then getting on the right side of him, praising him, worshipping him, praying to him and seeking him, and then living for him all day long. What will that help you do? It'll help you to stop sinning. 
You know, because as you go with your mind focused on Jesus, you stop doing the things that everyone else is getting carried away and doing because you know that you're not supposed to do that. So to keep you walking a clean path. And that's important. Psalm 145, 19 to 20. He fulfills the desires of those who fear him. He hears their cry and saves them. The Lord watches over all who love him, but all the wicked he will destroy. So he fulfills our desires. How many of you have dreams? Yeah, you have dreams to do something someday and, and be somewhere and, you know, do this and do that. He fulfills those desires. He enables you to walk in those things if you fear him and show him proper respect. Psalm 147, 10 to 11 says, His pleasure is not in the strength of the horse, nor his delight in the legs of man. The Lord delights in those who fear him who put their hope in his unfailing love. The Lord delights in someone who has enough wisdom to fear him. Proverbs 10 verses 27 says, The fear of the Lord adds length to life, but the years of the wicked are cut short. So he gives a longer life to those that fear God. Proverbs 14.2 says, he, he whose walk is upright fears the Lord, but he whose ways are devious despises him. So only upright men and women fear God. Proverbs 14 verses 26 to 27 says, He who fears the Lord has a secure fortress. For his children it will be a refuge. The fear of the Lord is a fountain of life, turning a man from the snares of death. So fearing God allows you to live in safety and protects us from the snares of death. Proverbs 19.23 says, The fear of the Lord leads to life. Then one rests content, untouched by trouble. So we will all sleep better and we'll be free of trouble if we fear God. Proverbs 22.4 says, Humility and the fear of the Lord bring wealth and honour and life. These are good things that God gives us wealth. He gives us honour if we fear him. Proverbs 23.17 says, Do not let your heart envy sinners, but always be zealous for the fear of the Lord. So not only should we not live in sin, but we should be zealous and passionate about fearing God. Psalm 112 verse 1 to 3 says, Praise the Lord, blesses the man who fears the Lord, who finds great delight in his commands. His children will be mighty in the land. The generation of the upright will be blessed. Wealth and riches are in his house and his righteousness endures forever. Your children will prosper and so will you if you fear the Lord. Proverbs 28.14 says, Blessed is the man who always fears the Lord, but he who hardens his heart falls into trouble. Humbleness and the fear of the Lord will maintain our blessings in God. Proverbs 31.30 says, Charm is deceptive and beauty is fleeting, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. So women who fear God are praised in God's sight. I'm just going to read you a lesson in the fear of the Lord from Psalm 34, verses 11 to 22. It says, Come, my children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. Whoever of you loves life and desires to see many good days, keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking lies. Turn from evil and do good. Seek a peace and pursue it. The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are attentive to their cry. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil to cut off the memory of them from the earth. 
The righteous cry out, and the Lord hears them. He delivers them from all their troubles. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. A righteous man may have many troubles, but the Lord delivers him from them all. He protects all his bones. Not one of them will be broken. Evil will slay the wicked. The foes of the righteous will be condemned. The Lord redeems his servants. No one will be condemned who takes refuge in him. Isn't that beautiful? Lord, we just thank you for this message today. And I just pray that it did have an effect on all of us. And and Lord, we can all take something home with us from this sermon. And Lord, we just, we fear you, Lord. We honour you and respect you. Lord, we want to be on the right side of you. And Lord, help us. Help us to stay on that right side of you. Help us to wake up every morning with, with the fear of the Lord stamped on our eyeballs, as Leonard Ravenhill would say about eternity, that we would always stay under that revelation, that we would live under that revelation, that you are the Lord and God who created all that is. And Lord, we just uh, pray that you'll be with us this week, guide us and bless us in the things that we do uh, this week and uh, help us to stay in your will. In the name and the blood of Jesus. Amen. Right, next week I'm going to be doing a sermon on the occult. Should be quite interesting. That's a big one. That's a big one.